Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Sleepless in Seattle. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that the plot will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Once, twice, three times, it's Patty. <laughs> that, that's a good one. Did you, did you, did you stay, <laughs> stay up late thinking of that last night? That was a spare-of-the-moment thing, actually. Well done, well done. I'm, I'm impressed. I was, th- I was thinking of um, new songs to sing at you. Um, I need to come up with a new one each week, I think. Yep, definitely. That's definitely on you. I don't have to do anything at all. I'm on it. I'm on it. This is the, the price that you pay for me being the producer is you have to come up with a different song every week. I have to do everything creative. Yeah, You have to do the actual Paddy. creating of the podcast. I think I get off easy, let's be honest here. Yeah, although, you know, whenever I have to try and think of something like that, my mind just draws a blank, you know? Although Rob's quite easy. I suppose it's one syllable. Ooh. Hey, now, why don't you get a Rob? All you need is Rob. Totally addicted to Rob. You give Rob a bad name. Shake it, Rob. (laughs) Rob is all you need. (laughs) Cause play is gonna play, 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 and the shake it, Rob. Shake Shake it, it, Rob. Rob. I like how that then changes that song from an instruction, well, a generic instruction to an instruction aimed at a specific person. I think that's how she meant it initially. And then they had to change it to shake it off. Yeah. They were like, this song just lacks some universal appeal, but I can't work out what it is. Why, I, why are you I just singing it about it. someone called Rob, Taylor Swift? Yeah, because you and Taylor go way back. I mean, yeah, we're best buds. All, yeah. all the way back. Yeah. Ever since you were both at the kindergarten in Crawley. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how are you did you have a good birthday i did i did it's been a very hectic time so all we did was we went out for a curry lovely um and and that was it for my birthday and it was quite nice um because i had a very busy day the the day following which is the day that we are recording and i had a very busy few days prior to that um so it was you know it was nice to have a nice relaxing time yeah it's it's been a it's been an interesting time. We recorded a couple of songs last weekend. We did, which yes. I am working on production wise. They'll be done probably a couple of weeks because I'm about to go on holiday. We've got some stuff to do, but yeah, it was a it was a good time. You came to see my house just before we started decorating, so now you'll be pleased to know that we've finished and all the strange wallpaper that the previous owners left is completely gone. There we go. That is that is that is awesome. Um. Yeah, you have a very lovely house, Paddy, I must say. Any listeners, if you've not seen Paddy's house, you're missing out because yeah, it's amazing. Just come, just come around. Just come, just have a look through the curtains. All of you, yeah. Yeah, you can't come in, but you can look in you through can, the window. You can look in through the windows. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been nice to have a week off work uh, to do that. It still feels like work, but different kind of work, I guess. I'm still tired at the end of the day, but in a different way. Nice not to have to commute. Yeah, it is good. I recommend it. 
everyone even if do you don't have to yeah even if you're not if you're not allowed to decorate where you live just like decorate someone else's house yeah unless yeah. you are a painter or decorator in which case i'd imagine it would be something of as they call a busman's holiday even though i've never heard the word busman in any other context <laughs> no um if you are a painter and decorator destroy someone's house that's what you should do <laughs> yeah. for your holiday turn up with a bucket of like horrible paint throw it all over the walls and walk out and be like yeah it's my holiday that that sounds like a really bad kind of dystopian film or something like the purge or whatever where there's a week in every year where everyone has to do the exact opposite of what their profession is so i have to spend a week of the year burning books oh my god paddy 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 we call it opposite day it's a thriller you have paramedics running around stabbing people. You've got you've got booksellers destroying books. I tell you've got king kings and queens being ruled by other people. Yep. Yep. U UKIP being not racist. <laughs> Banks just burning money. <laughs> yeah. Instead of you taking money out of the bank, you have to take all your money and like put it into a cash machine. Yes, yeah, you have to shove it in. Um, Otherwise, you don't get any money the other 364 days of the year. Football is playing rugby. Mm. Baseball is playing American football. <laughs> ice hockey players still playing ice hockey, but they have to push the stick around on the ice with pucks. <laughs> that would be excellent. That would sort of be like miniature curling. Yes, yeah. Um yeah, this this is amazing, and then and then yeah. it's all about one person who's fighting against the system. He's like, "We've got to get out of here." Yeah, this is the a barbaric tradition. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to save you this time. We've got to reach the morticians before it's too late. Oh yeah, so they're the only people who can save lives. Yes, exactly. That and mass murderers. They let they let um, serial killers out of prison just for oh, that yeah. one day, and they have to go around and save people from doctors. Because, of course, nice. the prison guards would be doing the anti-job of letting all of the prisoners out. Yeah, because the prisoners would be not imprisoned. Exactly. Dogs would be cats. It <laughs> would extend to the animal kingdom as well. So all the birds would get in the sea and all the fish would get in the sky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this writes itself, really, doesn't it? We're halfway there. Yeah. We're halfway towards a fantastic thriller. <laughs> We've we've Bon Jovi'd it. We have Bon Jovi'd it. I think we could definitely get like Mark Wahlberg into Star. Oh my God! This this film was made for Mark Wahlberg. He would totally be on board with this movie. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf could be one of the crazy doctors. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf is one of the crazy doctors. Mark Wahlberg is an ambulance driver who normally obeys the law of opposite day, but one day turns around and says, "No, I'm not going to run over people in my ambulance." He's mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. He is not going to take it anymore. And he rebels against the system. So we've got my main man, Shia LaBeouf. Who else could we have? Mm. Tom Hanks, maybe, as the president, who yeah. is no longer the president on that day. So he's the, yeah, so they, he has to be kept safe. Otherwise, someone else could become president. There's there'll be some kind of presidential plot thing. Evil right-wing vice president trying to take over or something. Yeah, yeah. Played by, it would be Kevin Spacey if he hadn't been a bad man. We could we could cast James Woods and just not tell James Woods it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, or um, Clint Eastwood 
Clint Eastwood. There we go. Tell him, um, tell him that Obama did it. <laughs> you won't but... believe this, Clint. But the last thing Obama did before he left office was declare opposite day a real day, and now you have to be the vice president of the United States. Yeah, it's an Obama nation. <laughs> Oh dear! Yep this this is going to be a very very good film. It's going to I be think incredible. This, this has the potential to smash the box office even more than Sensations. Yeah, because I think it has more universal appeal. Yeah, it's not it's not got that because Sensations was purely sort of like a character driven comedic romance film. Yeah, um, you know it's a very thoughtful film, whereas this is just pure action, obviously with heavy societal themes. Sensations does not appeal to the bloke market. No, sadly, no. Um, but yeah, yeah. Opposite day. Yeah, look out for that coming to a cinema near you in 2020. Yeah, you'll see trailers for it before the next uh, Purge movie. So watch out for that when you go and see yeah. the new Purge, <laughs> which will be called the Zero Purge. Yes, because they've just <laughs> done the first Purge. Oh, purging back in time. Can I? Can I tell you something, Paddy? I, yeah. I quite enjoy the Purge movies. I'm not gonna lie. I haven't seen any of them, but conceptually, I'm into it. Yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a neat concept, um, and they're they're just quite good fun, I think. And they kind of point out each movie as it goes on, it points out how corrupt the system is, um, in that it's very much focused on allowing rich people to maintain control and for the people yeah. who are in power to maintain control. So the first one kind of hints at it behind the scenes, um, but then it becomes very very apparent as as the movies go on um and yeah i quite like them they're good they're good fun good fun little yeah. movies i heard that the um the recent one the first perch has um upset some of the right wingers with its anti-capitalist sentiment so that's always good yeah i i imagine it probably would do but i'm surprised that they hadn't caught on to it yet from the series <laughs> <laughs> well you know they're ne- they're never any they're never the kind of people to be to willfully ignore something just because they like it. No, I mean the the, the first movie in the series. Just to give you a general idea about the, the themes behind the Purge movies, the first film in the series is about a man who gets rich off selling security uh, software and hardware for rich people to survive the Purge. It's about his house getting taken over by rich people who want to kill him on Purge night. And and it, and if that's not a if that's not a kind of pretty obvious heavy metaphor to hit people over the head with, I don't know what is. <laughs> What's better, purge night or prom night? Oh, I don't know. Um, what about ladies' night? <laughs> oh, it's just ladies' night. <laughs> yeah, it's always better for it to be ladies' night. See, if we were talking about a teen movie this week, that would have been my segue. But I can't think of any way to segue this into Sleepless in Seattle, so. We might well, just have to if 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 it was purge night, you wouldn't be sleeping. So if you had a purge in Seattle, you would literally be sleepless in Seattle. This is true. This is true. And it might there might be some kind of radio call in show. You never know. Sleepless <laughs> yes. in Seattle. Calling into the radio going, Shit, I'm about to get purged. I'm about what do to I do? Get purged. What do I do? Yeah. Whatever you, you do, don't fall to asleep. Purge <laughs> FM. <laughs> purge <laughs> FM. Um, so what did you think of Sleepless in Seattle? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I've seen this film quite a few times, actually. I realise it's a film that we revisit every so often, I think, when we're 
hopping through the films on the Netflix or whatever. And it's, um, yeah, it's a good one. It's uh, Nora Ephron as well, right? We, yes, Yeah, we've, we've talked before about some of her other work. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. It's 1993, but it actually doesn't feel as old, I think, as some other films from that time. Even though there are obviously touches that date it, like the whole thing being based around a radio show. But it doesn't feel dated at all, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it was it was nice to watch it again. But you were seeing it for the first time. So what did you make of it? I, I really enjoyed it. And I as I was watching it, I thought the same thing that, you know, this movie has not aged that badly. I'd say it's actually aged better than You've Got Mail. Um, yeah. Uh, which is another Nora Ephron project with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And I think, you know, obviously You've Got Mail has the issues of it being very much set in its time due to the, the sheer conceit of the story itself. Whereas here, you know, you still get radio shows. Yeah. Um, these days, it could be Tom Hanks calling into um, the Alex Jones podcast <laughs> and, and saying, I'm sleepless in Seattle because the lizard people won't let me sleep. That's amazing. And then they all take um, they all take their brain force powders. Yes. Yeah. They're all on their on their brain force plus. Um, and and that's how they, they meet. They're, they're both on the same mailing list for brain force and they accidentally get sent each other's emails and a breach of gdpr <laughs> yeah and then they have they have to resist the uh yeah the full force of the law as they try and find each other yes exactly so so yeah i, I think like the, the the general idea behind this movie hasn't aged that badly so what you're left with beyond that there, there's nothing that's jarring from a story perspective so you're just able to focus on the characters and the development of the plot and i think it does it very well and it does it in a very interesting way don't you think absolutely and i think it it's a more interesting conceit than a lot of laura Ephron's work which is all good generally she's a great writer but i think this is one of her most interesting works because the whole idea it's not actually about two people falling in love as much as it is about two people finding each other when they need each other in a kind of extraneous and interesting situation. And it's about family and coincidence and fate and those kind of things thematically, rather than it's not a straight up, here's two people who are in love, but here's an impediment to that love. It's more about here are two pe- two separate narratives and they here's quite an interesting way of bringing them together around the kid's desire for um, his dad to find a partner and him to find a new mother um, and that being done through this kind of radio show and letter correspondence. it's uh, I really like the way that that all fits together. And it's a really, really great story in that sense. It really, yeah, it really grabs you and it's really interesting. Yeah, the, the way that I, I thought about this film was that this is a movie about the giddy idea of love. Um, in that it's two people who, who have this idea of falling in love with someone. And they... they, they both almost love the idea of the other person particularly with meg ryan she doesn't really know anything about tom hanks's character but she develops this almost infatuation with the sheer concept of this uh the surprise and this giddiness caused by falling in love again um and i found that that was a really compelling way to tell the story and there's very little in here of course that's anything to do with their actual relationship because they don't really talk to one another at all throughout the film um and and i i just think it's a really clever way of conveying that feeling of of um of 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 that like early spark of love in a very interesting way yeah and it would be very very easy to dismiss 
their love on that basis to be that like well that they don't actually get together that's not actually a thing it's not you know that would never actually happen blah 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 it's not about that but the the fact that it's kind of slightly unbelievable that they when he takes her hand at the end it's like would he actually do that but the film has set it up so well that you think absolutely he does that and it's actually a really really magical moment so the setup really works with the payoff which is no mean feat in narrative terms oh for sure yeah um and 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 yeah you're right when you when you think back on the sort of general idea of this story and 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 those story beats you do kind of think oh this feels very strange um but it works in 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 context to the film as a whole um in a way that i don't think many other movies would be able to pull off and i think the cynicism would creep in if it wasn't for how intelligent the 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 script is and how intelligent the way that they um they sort of call back to other ideas of romance as well Mm, yeah um because they do a lot of callbacks in this movie to old movies and things like that um that really helps bring home that this is a movie about love but not in the sense of even the birth of a relationship because at the end of the movie there is no relationship really it's just hinted that you know everything's going to be okay and they're going to be together but they don't even show like a first kiss or anything like that yeah you're left to imagine all that stuff and you're right that it's about the idea of love rather than being a love story and as a space to explore the idea of love it does that really really well when often when romantic films deal with the idea of love it's usually in the context of someone having an idea of love that is flawed or doesn't work um and it ends up ruining their relationship or it's like they they can't love someone in the right way because their idea of love is doesn't work with the practicalities of that particular relationship so it's usually that the idea of love is an impediment to the love rather than the thing that actually brings it all together so to see someone on screen have the have that kind of romantic ideal and for it to eventually pay off is is a really nice thing and a really actually quite a unique thing in film i'd say yeah it's and that's what i found watching it for the first time is i had not really seen a movie that covered the idea of romance and the idea of love in this way before um which surprised me because i've seen a lot of films um, yeah but it, it, i don't want to brag but i've seen a lot of films i don't want to brag but you know i i I've watched many films and I hold them all in a bookcase made of rich mahogany. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I have many leather bound DVDs. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a, it's a real unique movie in that regard. I've not really seen anything else that deals with the subject matter in the same way, which was very refreshing for me and not at all what I was expecting at all. Really. Um, I had no idea that it was going to be this interesting a film. You just thought it was going to be Tom Hanks in Seattle and he can't sleep and meg ryan is like the sexy sleep doctor or something <laughs> well i had the, i had a general idea about the film in that he calls into a radio show um and and then they have the romance um but yeah it's it's really interesting and i love the fact that they weren't even in the same location and things like that um it was just a very it's a very neat film very neat film it is neat the the script is tight the narrative is very very tight but at the same time it still feels loose enough that there are some scenes where you feel like it's fun and it's like background detail that you don't necessarily need but it tells you a lot about the characters and stuff like especially her scenes with walter 
played by Bill Pullman, who I kept thinking was Jeff Daniels because he looks kind of like him. Um, but he was very good. And yeah, the the two the scenes between them were just about bringing her character's idea of love to the table rather than being about him. But his performance really, really helped it as well. And it's little details at this that Nora Ephron is so good at. It's like the first time we see him, it's Christmas and they've gone to her family first to tell them that they're engaged. And it's all like, it's all about how he's allergic to everything. And they're all like kind of making jokes about it, but still trying to be respectful and dancing around it and that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, that idea of trying, trying really, really hard to, understand a person when actually it doesn't feel natural to you i guess yeah it's it's i i kind of love walter in this movie bill pullman um in that there's nothing wrong with him whatsoever but there's just not that spark yeah and um and you do kind of wonder was there that spark in the first instance or was this just kind of like a convenient two people like each other kind of situation going on um but it's it's yeah and and he is unbelievably sympathetic <laughs> throughout the entire film um uh so much so that you know in a, in in the hands of someone with with less quality as a writer it could have been a real jarring point that there's this sympathetic other man in the story um that you kind of feel that there's a sour taste when he is left alone but it 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 works very well when she leaves him yeah um, that that scene is amazing actually where they're having dinner on valentine's day across from the empire state building where she has arranged to maybe meet up with um sexy architect tom hanks at the top of the empire state building um on valentine's day and she's looking over at the empire state building thinking is it is it going to happen while she's having dinner with walter and she goes i've got something to tell you and you don't see so much of it, but then it, it goes back to the kid at the Empire State Building and then cuts back and she's told him everything. And he's just so, he's really chill. And you're just like, wow, would he really be like that? But he would because that's his kind of character. And because they both know that neither of them are conforming to this huge idea of love and romance. And that's and that feels right. Whereas in a lot of other films, it would feel wrong or schmaltzy or tacky or whatever. But it's been set up in the right way to feel realistic yeah and and you do kind of feel sad for him because there's that there's one line where where um where meg ryan says something like oh um it's something along the lines of actually ever feeling that kind of spark where you know that you're meant to be with someone um and and walter says yeah and it's like oh he he has felt this with her um and and she hasn't that's not a good sign yeah Oh, I feel bad for him. Don't get me wrong. I feel like he he deserves to find someone, and that it's it's a shame that he had to end up being in the background in that kind of way. But yeah, you also feel like well, she's she feels the way she feels, and she has to follow her heart. That's as well. You feel like the film gives her space to follow her heart, and for you to feel like that's the right thing to do as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, it all works out quite well for Walter because he goes on to be the president of the United States that fends off an alien attack. Yep. Um, and then goes on to be a jazz saxophonist who bizarrely morphs into another character entirely. And then he becomes the senator who saves the day in um, Opposite Day. And then he becomes, yes, he he assists Mark Wahlberg. Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, they, together they save the president. 
he lends him a helicopter at just the right moment. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting the way they deal with characters in this film. Um, nothing's quite as you would expect. And and it's interesting that no one's really tried to ape this movie since because this movie was made in 1993. It's been out a very long time. And it's it's interesting that nobody's tried to kind of do the same thing. No, you could imagine them trying to remake it with like Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez or something like that. You know, it's been long enough now, 25 years or whatever, that, yeah, they could definitely try and remake it, but it would be awful. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine anyone really handling this that well. Yeah, it's um... and like it's sorry, just going back to Walter, I was going to say something. Yep. So about how he is the collateral damage, if you like, but you still don't, you still feel like it's okay and you don't feel like she's an ass for dumping him. Whereas the films like two, two um, things ago and in, well, actually in both the previous films, Chalet Girl and Four Weddings and a Funeral, the protagonist or the person the protagonist ends up with has to end a relationship on bad terms for the main relationship to happen and it doesn't quite feel right. You feel very, very bad for the other person and it kind of overwhelms the protagonists um, getting what they want and it just kind of leaves a sour taste. Whereas in this film, it was all tied up very, very neatly. So they should all take a leaf out of Nora Ephron's book. Yeah, you're right. It, it, there's no bad taste in your mouth at the end of this movie when they do like get together. Um, whereas, yeah, sometimes it can be a real slog when they try and put in that... Um, that kind of difficulty caused by being in another relationship at the same time. You're like, well, why did he have to be such a dick about it? Whereas here, yeah. it, all, it all feels quite nice. It's quite amicable, everything. Yeah, it is very amicable. That's the that's the right word. There is tension and there is drama, but at never at no point does it ever feel like it's really kind of overly dramatic. There's t- Tom Hanks and his son Jonah have have some some shouty arguments at some point. But again, it's like you feel for both of them because they're both just trying to deal with the death of Tom Hanks' wife, his kid's mother, in their own way as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there, it, it and 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 that's the other thing about this film is that it's not just about the romance, but it's also about overcoming grief and reaching that point where um, you're able to look beyond the pain of losing someone close to you and try and find something new yeah yeah it's very much about how we deal with death and bereavement and that kind of thing and also how other people approach it as well like um tom hanks hasn't been dating for a while and then i think a friend suggests to him that he go out with this woman victoria who has the very very loud laugh and then he sort of you get the feeling he's just going along with it because it feels like it's the right thing to do and that's kind of his way of processing his wife's death. And that's a really interesting thing as well. And she's also kind of collateral damage, I suppose. But you don't really see her side of the story. But yeah, she's she's not great. But she's not a bad person either. That's the thing. It doesn't make her out to be any worse than she needs to be. She still seems kind of sympathetic. She just can't grab Jonah's attention. And she has a loud laugh and she's a bit dull. But her firm gets box seats to the Mariners, so... So she's all right. Yeah, but yeah she's all right. I, I wonder what happens to her in the end. Yeah. She um she runs off. She runs off with Walter. That's what I choose to believe happens. Yeah, they 
they could work. She'd just laugh at everything he says. Exactly. And he's a very funny man. He is. Hilarious. He cracks very, very good jokes. Like, instead of a bottle of Dom Perignon, he says the bottle of Dom de Louise. Which is the height of comedy. <laughs> hey, in 1993, Dom de Louise was everywhere. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You couldn't move for him. Can't argue with that. He's in the library and at the bus stop. You know, everywhere you go, Dom de Louise. <laughs> is entirely accurate. Um, you, you know, you open up your cupboard. He's there. Yeah. He's offers you a packet of crisps. Thanks, Dom. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the waiter's um, incredibly straight face in the face of that joke is just fantastic. Hats yes, off to the person yeah, who played the, that the, waiter. The furious waiter who just can't wait to get away from the table and doesn't care if he ruins their evening. Yeah. Um, gotta love him. And I feel as well like that um, Nora Ephron's romances and these kind of films or films in the 90s like this, not necessarily written by Nora Ephron or directed by her. She actually directed this as well as having written the screenplay. But um, I feel like these kind of films are also more for people around our age. So we're both we're both we've entered a new decade. We're both 30 now. And I feel like this um this kind of film, they're in their 30s. I'd imagine that they were in their, around their 30s in this film. And isn't this film, Tom Hanks was 37, Meg Ryan was 33 or 34. And I think, yeah, it, it kind of shows that the romance is that little bit more mature. And it's it doesn't buy into, it's refreshing because it doesn't seem to buy into today's culture of, you know, obsession with youth and beauty and all of these kind of things. And maybe I've just seen too much Love Island, but it's... <laughs> It felt refreshing from that point of view. I mean, I think Meg Ryan is beautiful in this film, and I think Tom Hanks isn't a bad-looking chap, but it's like it doesn't push that kind of agenda. Whereas if you look at all the kind of the 2000s um, romantic comedies, everyone's hot and in their 20s. Yeah, it it is interesting that um, that there's that there's much more of a character focus and like an attractiveness based on emotional qualities in a lot of the sort of more dramatic romantic movies from this time period and and even like when harry met sally um i don't think you're gonna yeah. find billy the... crystal he i'm sorry but he looks like the other side of a boot <laughs> um yeah he's he's not a heartthrob they could have got um i don't know 80s charlie sheen into that movie yeah or, or emilio estevez yeah someone who is like an, a genuinely mega attractive person um, but instead they got someone who was able to convey a lot of character. And again, Tom Tom Hanks in this movie can convey a lot of character. And and, and that's what they're going off. And obviously, you know, Meg, Meg Ryan is, is very beautiful, um, but that's not what makes her character so interesting in this film. Instead, it's to, all to do with her character itself. And it's the same in, in You've Got Mail as well and, and When Harry Met Sally. Um, it's all to do with the character and the situation that the character's in and how the character reacts to them that helps build them instead of it just being let's chuck an attractive person in there. Yeah. It's 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 almost like that that element of it never occurred to them as filmmakers and that it was just before film and Hollywood really started to become obsessed with that, at least in the romantic comedy way. But you know, Hollywood's always been obsessed with beauty, obviously, but I don't know, something about it was just very refreshing. 
But on, on Billy Crystal, I have to say, I, as much as I was mean about his appearance, which I, I sort of half half regret, sorry, Billy, I have a lot of time and respect for him because he's a huge baseball fan and he made this film called 61, which is like, it would probably be in my top 10 films of all time. It's so good. And it's, it's um, a fictionalized account of the 1961 season for the New York Yankees when two players, Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle, were chasing Babe Ruth's home run record of 60 home runs. Um, and it's just a brilliant drama and his direction is just spot on so i'm glad that he made that film oh, brilliant. didn't get didn't get the recognition they deserved i think see so I've, I've not seen i've got it, time for so... billy crystal yeah see I, i've got time for billy crystal because you know he's in he's in the princess bride gotta love the princess bride yeah um that that's an excellent film and um and he's also in in city slickers i've never seen that it, it's a comedy um about a um a yuppie who goes to join a cattle ranch um and and it's very silly i'm listening yeah sounds good yeah with old, with old with old billy in it it's yeah it's it's worth a watch i just look at um his wikipedia it's when harry met sally was 1989 and somehow in my head it's later than sleepless in seattle i thought it was like mid 90s i'm way off yeah no it is an it is an early one yeah I suppose he's just young enough to pull it off at that point, isn't he? By 1993, he's he's in full boot mode. <laughs> Prime boot. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a cool film as well. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One for a future episode. One for, sure. one, for, one for a one in the future, definitely. Yeah. So the, the kid in this film, um, his name is Ross Malinger um born in 1984 so he would have been nine which seems about right for the kid he was playing i think he had the look about him of someone who grew up to be like really famous but he didn't i think maybe just in my mind he's kind of um blending in with other with other actors or something the way that recently i don't know i've been confusing scenes in films like i'd had i inserted the karaoke scene from wills and kate the movie into chalet girl i think i'm just completely losing the plot <laughs> you're, you're slowly losing your mind in the heat yeah but he's like um it's like you know when you're on a website and you're trying to read a news article or something and you've already clicked through the four different cookie gdpr pop-ups or whatever and you're like now please just let me read this article about how to make a nice guacamole or whatever it is and then you get to the bottom or uh, at the bottom and all along the right hand side of the page are all like those weird links where the content is pulled through from some kind of content farm rather than anyone deciding what to be and it's like yeah we won't believe what these kid actors look like now and that kind of thing like he's the kind of kid who would pop up on one of those weird links he um he was the voice of tj um in recess though ah okay um that's cool which is which is cool recess was an amazing kid show from when i was a from when i was a wee laddie recess was excellent it never got the recognition it deserved no no um and um and yes yeah, so he was one of i think there was there was multiple voices for tj over the years um and he was one of them Right, because um, as soon as the kids' balls start to drop, then... <laughs> they then have to swap to somebody else. Yeah, um, yeah. Because so the think... characters of Recess do not age in the in the Recess universe; they are still the same age that they've always been. Exactly. Yeah, they can they can never age. So I think he started off as TJ, and then after like three or four series, he then was replaced by somebody else. Um, but 
like that's a pretty that's a pretty cool thing to be it's like hey i was tj in recess yeah nothing wrong with that um and he but... was also in the incredible jean-claude van damme movie sudden death which is all about terrorists that plant a bomb in the middle of an ice hockey game what and he's got to um and he's got to fight them off it's great is is that not called the puck that couldn't slow down <laughs> holy puck there's a bomb in the stadium <laughs> i have not seen that but no, i would like to see that it's great is it's it, so good is it nhl like do they have actual hockey teams i don't there? know if it's got real real hockey teams in it let's have a little look um it is yeah it does it's pittsburgh penguins versus the chicago blackhawks ah interesting the chicago team um yeah, so it's all set in Pittsburgh. Well, some something's got to be set in Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, there's a very good. Um, sorry, sorry for diverting onto video games, everybody. This this is just um, a risk you're willing to, you're going to have to be willing to take if you listen to this podcast. But, I think if you listen to any episode before, you'll know that we talk about video games a fair bit. Yes, yes, we do, um, and. Um, and yeah, in, in Fallout 3, there is a, a um, additional content pack called The Pit, and that's all set in Pittsburgh. Um, and it's and it's turned into like a steelworks slash uh, horrible hierarchical society with toxic mutants everywhere. Um, and it's, it's a very interesting little additional bit to the game. I think it was the best of the... Um, downloadable content for for Fallout Three, so it wasn't part of the core game. But if you ever pick up the Game of the Year edition, you'll you'll be playing that as well. Cool. I'm just on um, Ross Malinger's IMDb page, and half of the photos of him are just pictures of the different language selections from the Sleepless in Seattle DVD menu. <laughs> oh no! Like, is no one um, is no no one vetting this content? Ah, oh, poor Ross Malinger. Yeah. Oh, and someone's selecting subtitles off. That's a good picture. Yeah, DVD menus are always very, very bad. This has like really bad typography with like white over a white background. It's really hard to read. Like, why are DVD menus always so awful? It's true. Um, they are always really, really bad, actually. I mean, it's not like anyone's watching DVDs anymore anyway, but it was the kind of thing where they never got good. Yeah, they never improved. I remember when you used to get all of those random extras on DVDs. When they first brought out DVDs, um, and, and we didn't get DVDs for a while, we were still on VHS because it was too expensive. But then when you bought those early run of DVDs that they made, then they had all that random extra stuff on there that you had no intention of ever really using. Like sort of trivia games on the disc for the movie you've been watching and stuff like that. Yep, trivia games, director's commentary... The trailer, of course, because, yeah, why not go back and watch the trailer after you've watched the film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or deleted scenes, outtakes. Yeah, it's quite good. It was like when DVDs first came out, it was like they had to justify the fact that they were giving it to you in this format and they could squeeze in all this extra stuff so that people would transition from VHS to DVD. And eventually, you know, you buy a DVD these days, you might not even get a menu. You might just be straight in. Straight in, just you know, a big middle finger, and then the movie starts. Um, but but I can't, I sometimes love the director's commentaries, and sometimes they're very, very interesting. Um, like the any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he is giving the commentary 
um, particularly if it's alongside the director, is among the best things you'll ever see in your life. Because it's like watching it with a really enthusiastic friend um, where he's just like, oh, I love this bit where I pulled that guy's head off and stuff like that. <laughs> it's brilliant. Excellent. No, I, I can't say I've ever had the pleasure of watching a film with the Arnie commentary on or if it's I've so ever good. actually genuinely sat down and watched a film with the director's commentary. I think I should do that. I should do that with like a Richard Linklater film just to make it even more kind of <laughs> even more pretentious. <laughs> I wonder what his director's commentary is like, actually. I hope he's just he's just joking all the way through, but I imagine it's going to be pretty po-faced. Yeah, on Boyhood, where it's like, did you know, man, this took 12 years to make? It's, like, it's just he says that like <laughs> at the beginning of every scene. Yeah, this scene, it's like two minutes in the movie, but it took us like six months to shoot. <laughs> Add them all up, you get 12 years. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. No, I, I think he's very, very good. We need to stop need to stop taking the piss out of him. <laughs> no, he's a good one. He's a good one. It's, it's a light-hearted jab. Yeah, that's yeah all. for sure. Made with love. Yeah. And obviously, when we record the director's commentary for um, Opposite Day, we're going to do a fantastic job. We'll share lots of very, very interesting insights, cheer in all the right places, you know, tell you when to applaud. Yeah, this, this is where Paddy got drunk and smashed up the police car. <laughs> Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we shot this scene in um, you know, in um, thirty eight millimeter by mistake, but we didn't have a two camera setup like Tommy Wiseau, so we just had to go. So we just work. had to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. I think it's going to be a great film. It's going to be incredible. It's all about the DVDs. We'll be able to just live off the DVD sales. We will because everybody die- buys DVDs. Yeah, that that that's where the money's at. Um, yeah, so so sleeps in Seattle is is very good, but there was there was some moments where I felt like it sort of it it was a little bit slow. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. It's not it's not an overly long film. It's let's see, running time one hundred and five minutes. Like I felt like it was it was certainly long enough though and you could have cut a couple of the scenes and you wouldn't have noticed much like some of the scenes where tom hanks is hanging out with his buddies or he's got like friends over in seattle and you're like hey he's he's just like managed to make friends with all these people it kind of asks more questions than it answers is that the kind of thing you're talking about yeah yeah where it doesn't really add much to the overall sort of concept of it and so you've got those scenes where he's with um his sister um who's who's played by uh by his wife in, in in real life oh yeah um what's her name rita uh rita wilson yeah um and 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 she's really good i like her a lot um yeah. in in various things um and and for instance she is in an arnold schwarzenegger movie she is in jingle all the way where she plays arnie's wife um, before he goes off to become Turbo Man and and show us all the true meaning of Christmas is to try and get a toy with all your might. And oh, and somewhat... she's been with um, with Tom Hanks since 1988. That's nice. It's yeah. yeah, not to be cynical, but often you go on the I, the Wikipedia pages of these kind of couples, and they're always eventually divorced. Yes, yeah, you're right. It it that often happens, which is quite sad. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And so she's produced some films as well. Produced My Big Fat Greek Wedding. 
There you go. Oh, excellent stuff. That's cool. And yeah, there's that guy who... What is his name? I'm looking at the thing. It's like he's one of... I think he's actually British, but he plays one of the friends. Victor Garber. Yep, there he is. Oh, old Titanic dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and he's just in it as a friend for all of five minutes. And you're like, it's Mr. Andrews. (laughs) (laughs) And then then he's never mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. I felt like they underused him. I feel like he, he had a lot to give to that film that he didn't get to give. Yes, yeah, I I feel like that as well. Is is because also his character does make an impression in the brief amount of time that he's on screen as well. Yeah. Also, he's Canadian. I, I had no idea. Oh, I did not know that. I assumed he was British. He looks British, doesn't he? He does. He looks like a Brit. He's got a sort of Downton Abbey look about him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or is he? Was he in Spooks? Or does he just look a lot like a guy who was in Spooks? I don't know. I don't remember him from Spooks. I I just watched really Spooks because other people were watching it and it was kind of, I always thought it was boring but kind of watched it anyway. It was one of those kind of shows. I'm not seeing it in his, his filmography there. I think he just looks like the guy from Spooks, whoever that is. But anyway, See, he's Spooks had that very good early early on Spooks was very good because it did have that moment where it killed off a character who you were expecting to be one of the main parts of the show in a quite graphic and shocking manner and i think it was only like three episodes in and it's kind of like oh my god but then it stopped taking those risks and it just became kind of a spy show um which was a shame but yeah that first series of it was very very well done and it really sort of hit home with a lot of people um but then it kind of just dragged on a bit much like british television often does it british television always always drags doesn't it I can't think of any British TV show that doesn't drag. Don't at me. <laughs> I'd say the thick of it was perfectly oh, yeah. formed. That is, that's a fantastic show. You almost want more, actually. Yeah, but you know that it, if you had more, it maybe wouldn't be as good. And, and where they stopped it, it's that perfect moment where you still want more of it, but you're not going to get it. Exactly. It's the, it's the same with Nathan Barley as well. Actually, that's a show that doesn't drag because there's only six episodes. Yes, they t- it's either that they do so badly that they only get one season, or they drag them on for far too long. Yeah, there's there's very few British television shows that end at the best possible moment. There's no in between. No, no. Um, whereas with American television, um, you do have quite a lot that are ended too soon, but you do get some that are just like one series that then you know it feels right. Yeah, or some, it's it's interesting, a lot of them seem to go on forever and have hundreds and hundreds of episodes, and then there are a few that kind of get a series and then fade into obscurity, but it is comparatively rare. But one such show is a show called Pitch, um, which is a film about a woman who ends up as the first female player in the major in Major League Baseball, and it's fictionalised, but they use a real team of this, the Padres and real players are in it a little bit and it's really really well done and it there's 10 episodes and it's a fantastic drama show really really good but i think it's just a little bit the subject matter i think is seen as too niche or they didn't market it well enough really it certainly was it was never showed in the uk or came to netflix or anything um but it was written by dan fogelman who's the guy behind this is us have you ever seen that um that sounds familiar have i seen it it's got um our main man, Milo Ventimiglia, who is um, off of Gilmore Girls, and he's brilliant in it. And it's a really, 
It's a show that at turns seems kind of cheap, but it really, really gets you. It's a very, very emotional kind of family drama that flits back and forth between the past. So you've got these these three triplets and it keeps going back to their early life. And he's the dad in like the 70s and the 80s. So it's it keeps jumping back and forth between all these narratives. But it's really, really, it's a really, really expertly done family drama. And it's just the right side of cheesy and cheap. Um but I think he's a really, really good writer. And he wrote this show before This Is Us, I think, or between series, maybe. Um, and he's good. And I think he's going to go He's going to go a long way. I think it's had three series of maybe 10 to 12 episodes each. Well, that's an example of a good American drama that I think gets the pacing and the number of episodes right. Whereas often there are just hundreds of episodes and it feels like a slog, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I do recognise This Is Us now. I don't think I've watched it, but it has Sterling K. Brown in, who's one of my faves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm all on board with watching it at some point. Yeah, it's it's very very good, very well done. But yeah, that American TV, it's a funny one, but most British TV is bad. Yeah, but it is a shame. But that's that's quite a, lot a truth British universally telly. acknowledged. It's quite a lot of bad telly. Yeah, uh, in Britain, um, don't let people tell you otherwise. Have you ever you seen? Have you ever seen the news? Yeah, the news is rubbish. News is shit. And like, I don't know what they're playing at by by having like concurrent seasons across multiple channels. It's yeah. not clever. The content is very, very bad, and there's way too much of it. It's like you yeah. can never, you can never keep up. You know. Yeah, they like basically do repeats multiple times a day. Yeah, um, and it's just like, why? I don't, I don't need this. I don't yeah. need to be bummed out by a TV show. It's the same stuff, and they're like they're recycling old content all the time. It's like get <laughs> get some new material. And like you know, uh, the one thing I will say about the news is that it tries to appeal to everybody. You know, there's something there for everyone. Like if you're not interested in politics, you can go in there and see a little bit of sport action sometimes. Yeah. Um, but if got- you are all about the right wing populism, as most of this country is, then it's got you sorted hasn't it it has yeah um it's uh you know it's a it's a weird show the news i'm not sure i'm not sure who writes it but i think they could do better yeah they should take maybe a week if off. they maybe yeah maybe if they did it like twice a week instead of every day they'd have more content yeah it'd be easier to fill that hour yeah that uh, just a hint to people who make the news yeah the writers of the news you know <laughs> here's some here's some tips for you we got plenty more where that came from. You want more dogs. Yep. Less politics. More explosions. <laughs> where you walk away from the camera looking cool. Yep. That's that's all. That that's all that's our tips. And a few features on like what a busman is and other such historical British curiosities. <laughs> yes. Take us through what different numbers of magpies mean in depth yeah that's what i want uh the old the old magpie rhyme you know if you yeah. if you see a, a solo magpie you can salute it and then it won't bring you bad luck i have heard this from a grand total of three people really um but that is it and everyone else i ask about it is just like no yeah why are you saluting bird for you idiot why are you saluting that bird is he a general is he General Magpie? Maybe he is a general. You don't know. We don't. We can't comprehend the military, the structure of the Magpie military, can we? He earned his you ranks know? in the Great War against the Crows. <laughs> yeah, the Magpie Crow War. 
it was it was a, a dark time for birdkind it was the best of times it was the blessed of times <laughs> oh dear yeah so anyway sleepless in seattle very good very well put together i like the way that it flows you know although you were saying it feels a little bit slow at times i think there are just one or two scenes that are maybe a little bit baggy or where she felt like it needed more characterization than it did because she was into writing the characters and she got away with it for sure yeah i think so it's just a slight nitpick the pacing a little bit off here and there because in general it's really well paced and a lot of the time you are glued to the screen and you're enjoying the enthusiasm of the characters um and like the playful nature of the way that it deals with themes and everything like that yeah and it it feels it's it is a romantic comedy essentially but it's not laugh out loud funny either is it it doesn't really try that hard to to get the lols does it no there is no scene where tom hanks is dancing around in his underwear and then he turns around and someone else is there and he looks sheepish. Yeah. Tom Hanks does not... He's not a small boy who then becomes a big boy and then it's all funny because he knows how to make toys. There's no yes. there's no such funny, funny moments like that. No, there is nothing like that in this film. Yeah. Not out of 20, no big boy transformation. <laughs> no playing giant piano. Yeah. Not out of 20. It's... Whereas, I, yeah, I feel like in... Um, you've got mail and when harry met sally as points of comparison it tries just a little bit harder on the lols and tries to make light of situations a little bit more but it doesn't really matter because this film actually requires sleepless in seattle i mean requires a lot of investment in the characters and in the narrative for you to get the payoff when it gets to the point where they actually finally meet in the empire state building so it, it is quite character heavy and character driven yeah for sure it's it and and that really works in its favor i think is that it goes that little bit extra deeper than some of its peers and it really pays off yeah it does it's it's it really really works it flows it flows nicely i think for sure for sure what did you make of the uh the jazzy soundtrack i quite enjoyed the jazzy soundtrack actually yeah it had that kind of playful quality to it which is quite nice yeah and it, and it sounds very much of its time a lot of the movies around this era that were the same kind of witty not laugh out loud stuff going on kind of worked very well with these kind of soundtracks and it's not something you really see anymore no and it's really really interesting because i think with that with if you were to make a film now and put that kind of music with it it could end up making it seem weirdly dated or like anachronistic, like it was out of time. But for some reason, with this 90s film, it works, even though it's like music that feels like it's from the 30s. It's really, yeah, it's really funny how it lends at that air of sort of slight sophistication almost, because I guess they were they were doing that a lot on TV in the 90s as well. It was a thing you were used to that says, here's like American Hollywood romance. Yeah, it's it, it it's funny. Yeah, it. It, 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 again it kind of puts it in this little time capsule for where it's from um but yeah it works it works it's nice we like it yeah it's good and there's all those like weird little animations as well like it has a really really nice like ending title sequence as well with that could make someone happy song and the little um like the hearts appearing in the sky and stuff which looks a bit like someone's media studies project but it's still kind of cute <laughs> 
<laughs> you're right it does kind of look like first steps into um doing like cgi yeah it's just it's just it just looks a little bit cheap a little bit silly but it's really good the way that it does it yeah it's 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 nice that quality and it it go whenever there's a plane flying they'll have the little animation of the plane flying over which just like it's almost a little bit silly but it's charming it charmed me yes yeah i i liked it it was a bit silly but you know what sometimes you want things that are a little bit silly yeah it's good do you have anything else to add um you know i don't think i actually do Ah, i think we've covered it it's it's a good film very enjoyable i highly recommend it whatever whatever you like whatever your persuasion whatever kind of film you like i think it's the kind of narrative that anyone can engage with anyone can enjoy you know it's also you know got a good kid actor doing a relatively complex role i think for his age and he pulls it off it's yeah it's good it's about father and son it's about death it's about grief it's about ideas of love it's actually about a lot of things that sometimes films try to do too much to get all that across, but it manages to do it by tying Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan together with a thin but adequate thread that brings it all together nicely in the end. It's, yeah, it's it's well done. Yes, it is. It's a very smartly made movie that will make you feel good. Yeah, and doesn't fade on repeat watch as sometimes these kind of films do. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so I have a, I have a little bit of a um, little bit of trivia, if if you're ready for. I'm it. ready for it. So the scene where where Tom Hanks and our mate from the Titanic are are sort of making fun of people crying over another movie, where they're instead they're 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 pointing out. Oh yeah, crying in the dirty dozen. That was actually <laughs> improvised. All oh, right, that's cool. Um, which is quite neat. Oh, yeah, because it keeps calling back to an affair to remember with our main man, Cary Grant, which is a cool film. We'll talk about that at some point. Um, yes, yeah. And it's yeah, it's not like they're leaning on it too heavily, but that providing a bit of a through line and a bit of context as well for the swing music and all that kind of thing actually, yeah, makes that feel quite neat. And it yeah, allows her to get up to the Empire State Building at the end because the guy's wife likes it. And all that is kind of cheesy, but just about believable. I thought, yeah, that was a nice yeah. touch. It, and that's the thing. Is there is that sort of neatness to it. It's all like, oh, yeah. Everything ties together in a neat little package. Um, so so Meg Ryan ended up with the role of Annie and did an incredible job. Mm-hmm. But she was not actually the first person to be offered the role. What? Um, in fact, Julia Roberts turned it down. Huh. Kim Basinger turned wow. it down. Wow. Um, because she thought the premise was ridiculous. <laughs> I can see um, how you would think that if you yeah. read it just as a script or if the story is told to you. If you can see, yeah, if, you see can that see without that. seeing the characters come together on screen. I understand how you could think that. Yeah. Um, then the other people who turned it down were Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Jodie Foster. Wow. And then it went to Meg Ryan after that. So they really went through a lot of people. Um, I don't know if many people turned down uh, the role that was offered to Tom Hanks or whether he just got it. Um, but Dennis Quaid was considered. Ah, okay. He, um, Dennis Quaid. I'm going to look up, remind myself what he looks like. He's one of those people. Oh, yeah, that guy. You know, I hear the name and I can never remember what he looks like. <laughs> 
yep. Yeah. And then you got Randy Quaid, that's why. Yep. Yep. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think Dennis Quaid could have pulled it off. He could have he could have done it, but I think Tom Hanks has more charm to him. Yeah. Um, which I think works in their favour. Um but Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, they only share about two minutes of screen time together in this film. Yeah. Which is also very, very interesting when it's the love story about them. Yeah. It's yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh wait, Dennis Quaid was married to Meg Ryan from nineteen ninety one to two thousand and one. So oh, at really? this point they oh. they would have been married. Ah, interesting. I see. That's pretty cool. That would have been interesting but a strange thing to rewatch. Yeah. Um so yeah, so that'll do it for the trivia, I think. Cool. Yeah. It's a good film. Well, Dennis Quaid also starred in the remake of Footloose. That's Did he now? Yeah. That's I've not seen the remake of Footloose. No, I have to say. That is a bad idea. Oh, Andy McDowell's in it too. I wonder if oh. she's as wooden as she is in four weddings and a funeral. I imagine not, because in general she's pretty darn good. <laughs> I don't know what happened with four weddings and a funeral. Yeah, it was the Lumpen script. Although a friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, has said he tweeted us about it to say, I enjoyed it more than you guys did as a trashy 90s Curtis verse film I'd never seen before. But maybe it was because it was a lovely, chilled 19 degrees C Sunday afternoon. Fuck you! Where are you getting this 19 degree heat from? At 19 degrees? I can't even remember what 19 degrees feels like. <laughs> yeah, today I was um, I was in a training session, uh, a mental health uh, awareness training day. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, it's because I'm, I'm increasing my responsibilities from mental health awareness perspective. Um, and uh, there was people from all over the country there who had all traversed to uh, to London, and they were saying how ridiculously hot it was there, and how you know you had some people over from Northern Ireland, others from Edinburgh, all saying how much cooler it was up there. And I was just like, you know, you're you're complaining about the weather, but I'm so jealous, so jealous. I, I really want there to be a bit more cool. I just want it to not be hot. We had like a couple of days where it was okay, and now today it's just been hot again. It's yeah. It's... Yeah, I'm unimpressed. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Sorry, I was distracted looking at the cast list of um, the Footloose, the 2011 version. <laughs> Nobody I've heard of, <laughs> apart from Miles Teller and Andy McDowell. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't say I've seen it. Is it just a bunch of young people? It's just a bunch of young people. Yeah. I don't think I've seen the original Footloose actually. Um, I've seen the original. It's a very good little 80s yeah. flick. It's, it's Kevin Bacon, right? You can't go wrong with Kevin Bacon. Um, well, exactly. Yeah. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Did you know his real name is Exon? <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, it was already taken in uh, Equity, so he had to think he had to think uh, of a new name. Had to think of something else. Um, you know, you know Chumbawamba. Uh, I've had the displeasure of knowing Chumbawamba. Yes, <laughs> I've re- I've even How remixed one of their songs. As this, this, this it was shared very very recently. <laughs> um, so so one of one of their members, they are they are uh, vegan, I think, as a band. Is a Chumbawamba a sort of vegan sausage? Is that where the name comes from? 
I don't. Uh, where does the name Chumbawamba come from? I'm gonna. I'm gonna look it up. Um, but yeah. Anyway, go on. Um. Uh. The. Uh. The. The. I think it's the singer, the male singer. Um. His name is. Uh. <laughs> is Danbert No Bacon. <laughs> no Bacon, all one word. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, his he used to go by the nickname Eggs. So it was eggs, no bacon. Eggs, no bacon. <laughs> Wait, yeah, he's listed as a past member of um, oh. of Chumbawamba. Chumbawamba were a British band that formed in 1982 and ended in 2012. Oh, okay, they ended. Who knew? Um, <laughs> oh, wait, also known as Skin Disease. <laughs> also known as Skin That's Disease. The worst name for a band ever. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm. I'm searching. What does Chumbawamba mean? Dan Dan No Bacon is, of course, not his real name. His real name is Nigel Hunter, <laughs> former vocalist and occasional keyboard player in the Leeds-based anarchist band Chumbawamba. What's anarchist about Chumbawamba? I suppose the well, only song of theirs I know is Tub Thumping. So I'm getting the impression from their Wikipedia page that they did a lot of very very different work. Yeah, they were they were primarily sort of punk based stuff, and also it wasn't all about their music that was anarchist, but actually about their protests, right? Um, so so one of them threw stuff and... at John Prescott and stuff like. Oh, that. okay, fair enough. Um, they were they were anarchist in their protests, if not in their music altogether. Cool. Oh yeah, this is actually very interesting. So, but then they ended up with this weird, huge hit with tub thumping. Which yeah, is often the it's often the way, isn't it? Like "Stop the Cavalry" was a protest song. Yeah, that then went on to become a Christmas song. What a tune! I love that Which song. Was, it, it was not originally released at Christmas time. Really? No. Um, <laughs> but then, because they mentioned Christmas in it, eventually it became part of Christmas music. Yeah. Yeah, and again, what else has Jonah Louie done? You're going to tell me he was a member of Chumbawamba now. <laughs> Maybe. It seems like they've had a lot of members. Oh, Jonah Louis. He's an interesting looking chap. He's got, in this picture of him relatively recently, he's got like the neck beard and no nothing on the top. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> he looks a bit like, um, a bit like Alan Titchmarsh. Uh, he looks like a yeah, a vegan Alan Titchmarsh. <laughs> uh, well, fair play to him because "Stop the Cavalry" is one of the best Christmas songs, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, and so, some people in my household are not fans of the song, and we'll try we'll try oh, really? and skip it if it comes on on the Christmas playlist. What's your least favorite Christmas song? Um, I don't know. As you know, I'm not a fan of Christmas wrapping by the waitresses, which is one of your favorites. Because you have no taste. Because it's got that that thing that off, um, slightly off kilter riff. That yeah, not a fan of that. But um, yeah, Band Aid can get in the bin, obviously, because all of the people behind it are wankers. Especially, especially <laughs> Bono, Bob Geldof, and all those people. <laughs> Excuse me, George Michael was a okay. Part of yeah, that. he's cool. Oh, no bad word about George. No, they're not. They're not all bad, but yeah, they're, it's a very, very condescending song to the people of Africa, and not very festive. 
basically if a christmas song doesn't have a huge brass section doing an awesome riff that you can march to i don't want to know <laughs> see for me i hate 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 the pogues oh i know yeah we discussed this in the psa love you episode i hate that song and i've always hated it. really um christmas rapping is the ultimate christmas song and anyone who says otherwise including you can get in the bin <laughs> love that tune so much it's one of those few christmas songs that i would listen to all year round well why don't you then i do <laughs> I... every so often i'll be like oh you know what i really feel like listening to christmas rapping i'll just check oh, it out i'm gonna go and listen to the fairy tale of new york now just to spite you <sighs> you're supporting homophobia paddy that's what you're doing by listening to that song yeah but it's it's irish so it's okay and here it comes (laughs) i'm catholic okay how dare you um yeah yeah that song can get in the bin i don't know if that's my least favorite one isn't there that really really miserable christmas song by um one of the ex-beatles um wait no paul mccartney's one is um that's quite wonderful christmas time i like that one's great which is it's it's all expertly right, parodied parodied by um, Peter Serafinovich when it becomes let's all have a sexual Christmas time. Have you seen that? <laughs> yes, that is one of the greatest <laughs> sketches ever. Now, are you thinking of Happy Christmas War Is Over by John Lennon? Yeah, and I like yeah. that one. It's, it's a bit. It's not. Dirge. It's not miserable. It's it's good. It's it's a upbeat strummy song. It's a bit of a dirge, isn't it? I'm not a fan. I hate Imagine. That is by John Lennon. That is genuinely one of my... That would be in my like top five worst songs ever. Now, that is the definition of a dirge. <laughs> Isn't it one of the world's most loved songs? Yeah, which is just further proof that we have... That the world is bad. <laughs> We've just let it completely <laughs> I don't like go imagine. to shit. I don't really like John Lennon's solo material at all. No. War is over is I think probably the, the pinnacle. <laughs> Let's be honest. I think the Beatle that came out of the 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 Beatles the best was probably George Harrison in terms of solo stuff. Yeah. Um, he was he was a cool dude who did some great stuff. Um, Paul McCartney obviously did all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Live and Let Die is an absolute Live tune. And yeah, I've got a lot of time for Paul McCartney. Yeah, I'm worried that he might be getting old and Brexity, but who knows? He um he also did that weird song with the surviving members of nirvana a couple of years oh ago yeah in memory of kurt cobain which is very strange and then then turned up in a aftershave slash car commercial you know how we can never really quite tell <laughs> with those with those commercials yeah. <laughs> i remember there's someone driving through the desert but i think it might be for an aftershave yeah was there a very very chiseled man whispering yeah but and ter- turning towards the camera in the rain as well yeah. couldn't it yeah, they kind of blend together now, car adverts and, yeah. and aftershave adverts. Well, they're either the really like car adverts are either really, really pretentious, like fragrance adverts, or like really, really low, like lowest common denominator, matey, like dog doing a shit on the pavement kind of humour. You know, do, do you know <laughs> what I mean? I know. So what I was like, exactly. oh, it's so There's hard. No I've got to pick up the kids from swimming. Oh no, it's gonna be fine because I've got a car. You know, it's. <laughs> it's your car it's a car it can drive that's literally every car advert but then there's also the um this car will change your destiny (laughs) like some kind of magic curse 
Um, <laughs> and that's the other kind of car. This car will literally turn you into a wizard. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah they're, they're, and yeah, you're right. There's no middle ground. It's either lowest common denominator or abstract art form. Yeah. Nothing else in between. And I, I hope that Paul McCartney's car advert, which I haven't seen, was of the lowest common denominator variety. It's just Paul <laughs> McCartney driving to the chippy. There'll be like that uh, double glazing advert that gets put on every year. Um, you know, you buy one, you get one free. I said, you buy one, you get one free. <laughs> yeah. Just Paul McCartney doing that, but with cars, just pushing them over. That is that is British culture in a nutshell. <laughs> I wonder if that guy voted for Brexit. Definitely did. He thought he was going to buy one and get one free. <laughs> he thought he was going to get a lot of free stuff from not being in the EU, but it doesn't actually work that way, sadly. They said if we Brexited, we'd get one free. Yeah. It's going to be a Brexit bonanza. <sighs> Brexnanza. Yeah. But let, let's not talk about that fucking shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Done with that. Done with that nonsense. Yeah. So rate rate to Sleepless in Seattle. What's your score? How Ooh. how do we score it? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Um, how many hours would you listen to a radio call-in with Tom Hanks. Yeah. With Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, who <laughs> yes. is not real, but could easily have been real. Yeah. I would listen for, I'm going to say, 16 hours. I think it, it's a, Ooh, it's a good nice. film. It's a very, very good film. It doesn't quite reach the lofty heights of the, you know, 17 range, but it's definitely up there. It's definitely very, very good. And there's lots of, lots to like about it it's very very interesting and i think actually it's it's a little bit underrated actually it's people don't tend to think of it as much but i think it's some of nora efron's best work and of tom hanks and meg ryan's best work as well it's it's good it's interesting yes i agree um i'm going to go for a a 15 pretty much for the same reasons um it's a very interesting movie it's very well put together. It's a very likable film and you really root for the characters. It's not perfect, but it does something that very few movies do, if any other movies do, in the way that it sort of builds itself as a story. Um, so, yeah, it's good. I like it. Go watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, just mark down a couple of points for a little bit of slow, slowness and a little bit of bagginess. But overall, yeah, very, very good. Yeah, I approve. Gets my approval. Good. So... Your choice next. What have you got? So yeah, I I have three choices for Ooh, you. Oh, okay. So you can decide. One of them, I'm not entirely sure whether it fits on this podcast, but it does fit with our recent discussions about movies. So I'm going to include it. So you have a choice of a weepy, um, a dramatic thinky, or a potential shit piece. <laughs> So weepy, thinky, or shit piece. Yeah, the that's your choice. The name of my three children. <laughs> um, it's like Tots TV. It's the new name of the little tots in Tots TV. Yeah, or like the new Teletubbies. I'm a tot, just wheeze and tot. <laughs> um, weepy, thinky, shit piece. <laughs> Well, I I am too much of a troll person to not go with a shit piece, so it's gotta Ooh, it's gotta okay. be it's gotta be <laughs> gotta be shit piece. What do we got? Okay, 
Uh, so we are going to be watching the sci-fi romantic creeper movie, Passengers. Okay, cool. I don't think I've even um, heard of it. It stars um, two very good people. It's Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. Oh, but I've never seen dog, it. I have I've heard, heard that this. there is some. There, I've never seen it myself, but I've heard that there are some serious problems with the general plot yeah. of the film, which I'm looking forward to discussing with Excellent. you. Excellent. Okay, I'm looking at this now. It's got Michael Sheen and Lawrence Fishburne in supporting roles. Okay, our main vampire, Michael Sheen. Wow. Our okay. Our main vampire, Michael Fish. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Michael Fishburne. <laughs> Michael Fishburne. Okay, I, I don't want to give too much away, but okay, wow, I'm excited about this. This this yeah, looks I, insane. I have heard that there's one central flaw with this film that ruins the entire thing, and I'm looking forward to finding out your thoughts about Very it. Excellent. You haven't seen it, or have you? I have not seen it myself. No. Cool. No. All right. Well done. Um, and I'll keep the other two on the back burner, and I might offer you the the same choice, but out of two films next time round, unless I get inspiration elsewhere. Yeah, and no, I should try and do the same thing. Give you, yeah, because realistically, every film that we talk about can fall into one of those three categories, right? <laughs> well, I think we, I, we we often talk about comedies, and there was no comedy to be found in my choices this time round. Yeah, that's um, well, true. a little bit of comedy in the weepy, but primarily. A so weepy. you got you got a weepy, a thinky, a shit piece, or a lolfest. Yeah, and those are our options of general. You know, when they were talking about the the the, there's only a certain number of kinds of storytelling available to human beings. That's actually yeah. what they're talking about. The, the four basic plots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I particularly like shit piece. <laughs> yeah. As a basic. If plot. I was teaching a creative writing course, yeah, the seminar on shit pieces would go on for a long time. <laughs> I mean, you'd have a lot to dissect. Yeah, you? yeah. There'd be lots of coursework on the room and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Excellent stuff. Uh, do you have any other business? Um, no. I just as say, would you call the Bridges of Mount- Madison County a shit piece? I, no, I wouldn't call it a shit piece. I think shit pieces are where there's a catastrophic failure down the yeah. line. Um, I'd put that into the weeping. Yeah, yeah. It's got some terrific weeping in it, and it it does can yeah. potentially make one weep as well so yeah it's been one yeah, weep shit pieces are very shit pieces are very special category yeah, it's it, it is it transcends general plot it, it's more of a a structural failure of a film yeah what about um is jupiter ascending a shit piece like a good shit piece oh, yeah i would kind yeah. of put that into a shit piece movie category but it is a good shit piece. Yeah, so you can have a good shit piece or a bad shit piece. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a bad movie. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I'm liking this as a categorization. <laughs> I think we should focus on this in the future. Um, yeah, listeners, what do you think of our categorizations? What's your favourite shit piece movie? Yes, please tell us. You can get us to us on the Twitters at BigBoysDon'tPod or on the emails, BigBoysDon'tCryPodcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. We will read your correspondence out and tell you you're wrong yes exactly <laughs> yeah sorry guys unless it fits with our categories it is incorrect yeah but um yeah thanks a lot for tuning in i really appreciate it i hope you enjoyed watching sleepless in seattle and we'll be back next week to talk about passengers yes indeedy Bye-bye. Alrighty. bye bye